I want to invite you to stand, if you will, as we consider God's Word for today. You actually don't have that text printed for you. It's a little lengthy, uh, so I'm going to be reading that. But if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there to uh, Genesis chapter 50. And we'll be looking at verse 15 through 21. When Joseph's brothers realized that their father was now dead, they said, What if Joseph bears a grudge against us and wants to pay us back for all the terrible things we did to him? So they approached Joseph and said, Your father gave orders before he died, telling us, This is what you should say to Joseph. Please forgive your brothers and your brothers' sins and misdeeds, for they did terrible things to you. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of your father's God. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers wept too, fell down in front of him and said, We're here as your slaves. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I God? You planned something bad for me, but God produced something good from it in order to save the lives of many people, just as he is doing today. Now don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your children. So he put them at ease and spoke reassuringly to them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you. You may be seated. Now last Sunday we had an amazing uh, opportunity to have a special music service, and we all enjoyed that. Uh, That did mean uh, taking a little bit of a detour from our series on the family, so let me just catch us back up. We are spending several weeks reflecting on the family and how family, particularly a Christian family, can experience uh, maximum health and vitality. We've been looking at the things that, the ingredients that go into uh, creating that happy home and effective family. This morning, we come to the next to the last, and it is the word forgiveness. Families that function well are families that have learned forgiveness. Now, when it comes to forgiveness, there is what we could call that garden variety, everyday kind of forgiveness that is called for in just the normal day-to-day life within families. When your brother pours paint on your favorite pair of jeans, you got to forgive. When your daughter backs the car into the mailbox, you forgive. And so there's a garden variety forgiveness. We all understand. We all know the importance of that. And so we don't really need a whole lot of help with that. But what we need help with is the more severe infractions. Those things that sometimes we experience in a family where a family member says something or does something that inflicts enormous pain and wounds us deeply to the point that we have anger and resentment that we carry for years and years and years and maybe for the rest of our life. Sometimes things are done to us by members of the family that are grossly unfair 
and completely unjustified that nearly destroy us. And in those situations, forgiveness seems to be not even on anybody's radar. Forgiveness seems to be inappropriate, impossible to achieve. Not even something we should consider. What role does forgiveness play when family life reaches a level where things are done that are unspeakable? To get at that, I want, us to, I want to share about a family in the Bible. A real family. And as a, you're about to see, a pretty complex family. It's the family of Joseph. Now, Joseph's parents were Jacob and Rachel. When Jacob, now Jacob was married to Rachel, but he was also married to Rachel's older sister, Leah. Now, that needs a little explaining. At the wedding, when Jacob is marrying Rachel, when he says, I do, he thinks it's Rachel. But actually, the woman under the veil is Rachel's older sister, Leah. He didn't know it. You see, Laban, Rachel's and Leah's father, figured that Leah, being the older sister, deserved to get married first. And so, Jacob has just married Leah. He feels tricked. I would too. He's now married to Leah, but he also marries Rachel. Now, Jacob fathers a number of children with Rachel and Leah. But not only with them, but also with Rachel's maid, Bilhah, and Leah's maid, Zilpah. Now, I told you, this was a complex, complicated family. Now, Rachel and Jacob's favorite son was Joseph. That's a big mistake right there. You don't ever have favorites because it only complicates things down the road. But Joseph was their favorite. And to complicate matters even more, Joseph knew that he was their favorite. And he loved to flaunt it. And his brothers knew that Joseph was the favorite. One day, Jacob gave Joseph this really nice multicolored, expensive coat. Very rare. And um, he loved to wear it, particularly around his brothers, just to kind of rub their nose in it. One day, the brothers were out in the field. Joseph puts on his fancy coat, and he prances onto the field, and runty little brother that he is, he decides that he's just going to flaunt his favorite status. Well, by now, the brothers have just had it. But they say, let's kill him. Let's just be done. Let's just kill this baby brother and be done with it. But then they, they have to think about it, and they realize that that would cause even more trouble. So here's what they do. They notice that there's an Ishmaelite slave caravan off in the distance. And one of them says, hey, look, let's do this. Let's sell Joseph as a slave. We'll take his coat, 
We'll sprinkle some goat's blood on it. We'll go back and tell Daddy that he was attacked and eaten by wild animals. Joseph will be out of our hair. We'll have some extra cash. Life will be good. So that's what they do. They sell him as a slave. Joseph ends up in Egypt. He's been a slave now for like two years. He ends up being bought by a man named Potiphar, who who was one of the servants, one of the officials in Pharaoh's court. Now, Potiphar really, really liked Joseph because he was a hard worker. Potiphar's wife really liked Joseph because he was very handsome. As a matter of fact, she liked Joseph a little, little too much. And she started to express an interest in him and ended up seeking to seduce him. Well, Joseph sees what's going on and decides he's not going to have any part of that. Well, she gets insulted that he has denied her invitation. So she decides to ruin Joseph once and for all. And so one day she invites Joseph up into her chamber. When he gets inside, the door is shut. She screams. The guards come, and he accuses, she accuses Joseph of seeking to attack and molest her. He's taken away, thrown into prison. While in prison, Pharaoh discovers that this Joseph, this prisoner down there, has this amazing knack to interpret dreams. And so Pharaoh had been having these bizarre dreams that he couldn't understand, and so Joseph is called, he interprets the dreams, he tells Pharaoh that the dreams are letting him know that there's going to be a great famine, and that Pharaoh, in preparing for the famine so these people won't starve, should be stockpiling food. Sure enough, the famine comes. Pharaoh remembers Joseph's insights. Joseph now has become secretary of agriculture. He he takes him out of prison, puts him in charge of food distribution and food planning. Meanwhile, back in Israel, Jacob and his family are starving to death. They have no food. Jacob hears that there is food in Egypt. So he gathers his, his 11 sons and he says, go to Egypt. Plead with Pharaoh. Meet with some of the officials and plead with them for food. So the 11 brothers go off. They're sitting in the, the big waiting area, waiting for the Secretary of Agriculture to come in. In walks their baby brother, Joseph. Now, they don't recognize him. It's been 15 years since that fateful day. But Joseph recognizes them. And in spite of everything they have done to him, I mean, he has experienced slavery, he has experienced humiliation, he's experienced uh, imprisonment, they lied to the father that he was dead. All of this he suffered at their hands. They had ruined his life. 
yet, in this moment, in this setting, he decides to do something remarkable. He decides to forgive them. Now, how in the world did that happen? What is it about Joseph and what did he do in those 15 years that brought him to a place where he could look his brothers in the eye and forgive them and show them love and compassion? I want you to notice several things in this story because they have direct implications for us. The first thing I want you to notice is this. Joseph had every right to withhold forgiveness to his brothers. After everything they had done to him, after all the pain and hardship that they had put him through, he had every right to withhold forgiveness from them. And you know what? So do you. So do you. Some of us are here this morning and there are things that our, a family member has done to us that have hurt us deeply. You have every right to withhold forgiveness. If a father abused you, if a spouse cheated on you, if some other family member said some untruth about you, you are within your right to withhold forgiveness. And I know a lot of people that exercise that right every day. And that's your option too. But you need to understand, when you are withholding forgiveness, it means that you are holding onto something else. Anger. Rage. Bitterness. Got some bricks up here. These bricks are meant to be symbolic of uh, events in your life in which some family has harmed you deeply. Now this could be true of anybody, but we're, our focus today is the family, so I'm kind of zeroing in on that. Maybe it, maybe it was a, an, an abusive parent. Maybe it was a cheating spouse. Maybe it was a brother or sister who, who started vicious rumors about you. I don't know what it is, but these bricks represent... harm and injustices that have been done to you. Now, and here's what we do. We're gonna, we pick them up. You see, if we're withholding forgiveness, it means we're holding something else. It means we're holding on to these. And so we pick them up and we carry them. And we think that carrying them isn't going to do us much harm. And so we hold on to them for years. And we think that we can hold on to them and it not affect our life in the least. But that's ridiculous. When we're holding on to all those little hurts, promise me, I'm promising you, they get heavy. And these are getting heavy right now. And there could be more. And, and here's the deal. 
we think that we can go ahead and live life normally holding on to all this stuff, but what we don't understand is when we're holding on to this, we can't function properly. They weigh us down. There's so many other things we could be doing, but we can't because we're carrying all that stuff from the past. Now, we could lay them down, but we decide not to. Why? Well, maybe it's because we don't understand what forgiveness is. You see, forgiveness doesn't mean that we come to a point and place where we condone what that person did. Okay? That infraction, whatever it is, if it was unspeakable then, it's unspeakable now. If it was unjustified then, it's unjustified now. Forgiving others does not mean coming to a place where we say that what they did was okay or condoning. These bricks will never be flowers. They will always be bricks. And whatever that person did or said to you will always be wrong. So forgiveness does not mean coming to a place of condoning or accepting. Forgiveness also, it doesn't mean feeling warm fuzzies for that person. It doesn't mean feeling positive feelings for that person. If that happens, wonderful, but that's not a condition of forgiveness. You see, forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is an act of the will in which we consciously lay down the right to retaliate. It's an act of the will in which we say, yes, what that person did was horrible, but... I'm not going to let my anger control me going forward. Forgiving someone doesn't say so much something about that other person. It says something, however, about you and how you're going to react. And so what does Joseph do? Joseph relinquishes his right to retaliate. And in those 15 years, between when he was sold into slavery and when he met his brother, in those 15 years, he changes his perspective. He could have spent those 15 years doing this, asking why. Why did this happen to me? Why did my brothers get away with this? Why was this my lot in life? But he chose rather to start asking the what question. What can happen in me now? Moving forward. And he gave up his right to retaliate and he began to focus on his relationship with God. And and he he thought to himself in those 15 years, God loves me. God is good. God is a loving father. God has wonderful life in store for me, and I'm going to trust him. I'm going to believe in him, and I'm going to do my best to pursue God's will for my life. And so he, he set aside the bricks. 
He laid down his right to retaliate, and here's what happened. Those bricks became a path that enabled him to walk away from that past into the life that God was seeking to give him. He had a change of heart. And he began to seek God's will. And he began to so focus on his relationship with God and his love for God that his love for God became stronger than his hate for his brothers. And rather than, rather than focusing on what others had done for him, to him in the past, he began to focus on what God wanted to do for him moving forward. And that opened up all kind of possibilities for him. And so by the time his brothers show up 15 years later, he sees them. And you know what? An opportunity in a setting that could have been violent and hostile was anything but. He offered them love. He offered them grace. He offered them forgiveness. That's what happens. When we decide to lay down the hurts of the past, give up that right for retaliation, And begin to be guided by not what that person has done to you. That's in the past. And begin focusing on what God, where God wants to lead you and take you in the future. And he said as much to his brothers. He said, you did a horrible thing. You meant it for harm. But God has taken something as horrible as what you did to me. And has used it to give me a whole new life and to save the lives of many. I, I don't know what infraction a family member has imposed against you or on you. I've heard lots of horrible stories. But I know this. If Joseph could forgive his brothers for all that they did to him, you can forgive a father or a mother or a brother or sister from whatever has been done to you. Will it be easy? No. But is carrying around all that burden, all that weight, all that anger, is that easy? No. It only robs you of life. Laying that down. Focusing your vision on God's plan and God's love for you. 
helps lift you out from that whatever it is and fill you with tremendous possibilities that you're never going to know if you continue to carry the old bricks around. I don't know uh, what your pain, what your hurt might be. Some of you are sitting here thinking, wow, I haven't experienced anything like that in my family. You know, wonderful. You are blessed. But that's not everybody's story. There may be some of you this morning who are here and, and you're not on the receiving end of the infraction. You might be the guilty party. You might need to be asking forgiveness of others as well as God's. As you come to receive the sacrament this morning, come remembering that the one whose life we celebrate, the one whose life we follow, is one who wrote the book on forgiveness. He manifests it, he examples it better than anybody else. And he instructs us to forgive even as we are forgiven. And as you come this morning and receive the sacrament, if there's any, any old bricks that you're carrying around, um, decide to lay it down and leave it here. And in its place, put our new faith and trust and hope in your Heavenly Father God. It will never harm you. He will never abuse you. He wants to give you life as no one else can.